and welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Helbig. Very exciting episode awaits you. Today we have Nithya Raman uh, on the episode. I'm so excited. She's an LA City Council member. She is brand new to politics. She won her election. We talk all about what it's like getting into politics, the glamour, the not so glamour, what it's like running a campaign that gets recognized by people like Bernie Sanders, dealing with social media, how and why you should get interested in politics at your local level, especially when it seems incredibly overwhelming. You know, I'm I'm talking on behalf of myself. There are really easy ways to start getting involved and paying attention. We also talk about what it was like when she found out she's having twins and her answer to who would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at is a really fun time. So please enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep with Nithya Raman. Nithya, I'm so excited to talk to you. Uh, first of all, I'm, I'm, I have to get some very boring and simple questions out of the way. You are an LA City Council member. Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm going to start extremely basic and we'll work our way up. Well, in LA City, you have a mayor and you have 15 mm-hmm. council members that govern the city. The city has 4 million people. The county has 10 million people. So this is just LA City. Mm-hmm. And so each council member represents a district that's about 250,000 residents each, which is a huge oh. number. Yeah. And we have actually the largest uh, staff members of any California offices. I have about 24 staff members in our office. And the reason we have so many staff is because we do two kinds of things. We do both constituent services um, in our district. So we Mm -hmm. try and help people with broken sidewalks, with tree trimming, with finding rental assistance, with connecting to the EDD Um, if their benefits are not coming through. So we do that kind of basic constituent services work. And we also have a legislative function where the city council comes together and makes policy for the city of Los Angeles that affects all of the issues that we care about. So it's a, it's an interesting job and it's a much bigger position than in most cities. Yeah. Work has a lot more city council people. So each district is much smaller and their mayor is much more powerful. Mm -hmm. And here in LA, our mayor is less powerful and our city council has a lot of power. Wow. I mean, it sounds like a very easy, uh, stress-free job that must on a regular basis just be a breeze. I can't imagine. (laughs) But I want to, okay. I mean, your story is so interesting. You were born in India. You moved to the United States. You go to Harvard, you go to MIT, and then you end up as a council member. Talk me through how all of that happened. Well, first of all, I never thought I would be running for office. So this was kind of a surprise for me too, in terms of my career path. I spent a lot of time as an adult, uh, both before and after I got my urban planning degree, working in India with people who lived in slums there and Mm. informal settlements who were fighting for things like running water and toilets. I came back to the US and I moved to Los Angeles where my husband was already working. Mm -hmm. And here I started getting really involved with the issue of homelessness. And the more I did work on homelessness, the more I thought the city should be doing more and that the city could do more. And that's when I decided to run for office. But I also did just want to say that one of the reasons I ran for office in LA, you know, I grew up outside of, um, outside of Boston in a small Mm -hmm. town 
And, you know, obviously I'm a person of color, brown skin woman. Um, and growing up there, I was not, you know, I was one of a handful of non-white residents in, in my neighborhood and my, um, in my town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I went to college out there. I went to my master's program out there, but it was when I came to Los Angeles that I really felt like this city just welcomes people mm-hmm. with open arms and it does not question whether you have a right to be here or not. It's just like, great, you're here. Get to work on your dream. Yeah. You know, let's make it happen. And I feel like the entertainment industry has that promise and it draws people from all over America, all over the world. Mm-hmm. And so many workers come here from all over, all over the world, from different countries to build their dreams here. And I definitely felt that potential here far more than I've felt in any other place in America. Wow. So to me, it's like the only place I would have ever run for office. Yeah. I mean, that must have been such an interesting decision to make to finally say, yes, this is what I'm doing. Did you talk to friends or family members or did you kind of make this decision on your own? I did talk to some friends. In fact, Mm -hmm. some people actually asked me to run. Some of my friends did. They were totally powerless in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Being anointed or anything. They were just like, you should run. (laughs) It's an easy thing to say to someone else. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, yeah, some people definitely said, you know, you've done a lot of work on this in your neighborhood already. And Mm -hmm. it would be great if your perspective was reflected in City Hall. But I think the biggest thing about this election, which was so exciting, we saw huge amounts of voter turnout because Mm -hmm. our our elections coincided with the federal elections for the first time here in Mm -hmm. L.A. And so I saw this opportunity to say, here's this big, complex city. It has all of these problems. The city has all of these tools to take on those problems. And I wanted to get people talking about those issues and I wanted to get people excited to talk about them. And what better opportunity than a door-to-door campaign during an election, you know? And, and during a pandemic, too, just to add a little bit of... Uh, so then we had to switch to a postcarding campaign. But yeah, but during the primary, we did a lot of door-to-door campaigning and it was incredible. Yeah, you had attention from people like Bernie Sanders and you had so many like grassroots volunteers coming out. Now, I mean... Creating a campaign, you know, sounds like something that you just naturally do in politics. But what does that look like when you're starting to do that? I mean, I can't even create like a TikTok account. So uh, how did you go about creating your campaign and your messaging? Well, given how incredible your own platform is, uh, I sincerely doubt that you wouldn't be incredibly successful in a campaign if that's what you oh, chose to do. Thank you so much. <laughs> but I um, but I think the biggest key and the thing that we did better than a lot of uh, other campaigns did was to do two things. One mm-hmm. was to make it clear to people why it was important that we cared about city council and yeah. we cared about who was in city council. So we talked about the powers of the council, what kind of decisions it's made so far, who influenced the council. So mm. for the most part, it was wealthier homeowners who voted, who yeah. weren't necessarily representative of the diversity of LA and corporate mm. donors who donated to these campaigns. And these two groups had controlled LA for a really, really long time. Yeah. In a city that's like majority 
um, renters. Mm -hmm. We weren't making policy that spoke to renters needs. We weren't making policy that would really prevent homelessness. And I, in the political system, saw a real reason for that. So Mm -hmm. I think one thing that we did in building the campaign was to make city council matter to people when we talked about it to them. But then the second thing that I did, which I was hard for me because I'm I was new to putting myself at the center of things like that just doesn't I guess now it comes more naturally to me. But um, but it took me a little bit of time to learn is to articulate why I was the right person to be able to take on that Mm. power and to take on the challenges that the city was facing. And I think we did both of those things pretty well. Yeah, I mean, you really have to muster up an extraordinary amount of confidence about your ideas and be able to express them to people in ways that make sense. I, It's been so interesting to um, watch politics over the last few years, especially because, I mean, I'm not originally from Los Angeles. And so, like you're saying, getting people interested in city council when you feel like this isn't necessarily your city to begin with, but you still live here constantly. I think that's kind of a big disconnect for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that was really fascinating about my campaign was how meaningful it was for people to be involved in the campaign, Mm. like the campaign itself, volunteering with the campaign or, um, you know, being put now that I'm in office, we have a volunteer core that we've set up and people volunteer through that all the time. We send out volunteer opportunities in the district and outside of the district and people come out and, you know, they make phone phone calls to older residents. They did that during the pandemic. They did mm-hmm. a lot of vaccination phone calls. Mm-hmm. We did vaccination pop-ups in the district that people staff. So we've done all kinds of things where people can get connected. That kind of volunteerism, whether it was for the campaign or now, whether it was to serve other residents in the city or the district, that made people feel like they belonged in LA. Yeah. That made people feel that sense of like, this isn't just the city I live in. This is my city. Mm, that's really cool. And now you have all of these you know, people that are, are volunteering with you. I'm curious, how do you hire the people that work on the staff around you? It's hard. And I think Isabel one- is lovely, by the way. So yeah, great we hire. <laughs> we love Isabel. Um, and I have an incredible staff, but it was really hard. So one of the things that people don't tell you when you're a first time candidate or somebody who's running for office, who's not from the political establishment is what happens when you win? Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't talk about that enough, I feel like, and yeah. you talk about, okay, how do you fundraise? How do you run a campaign? How do you do this? And then what happens if you win? <laughs> one of the biggest challenges is actually staffing up, especially for such a big office like this one is mm-hmm. because if you are coming from political circles, you're probably working with a lot of people who've done this before, who know that this is what they want to do and that they maybe have done it before for other offices. And so you're able to hire up really quickly. Mm. And so for us, it was a challenge to find people who shared the values of the office, who really wanted to do the kind of work that we wanted to do during, especially during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it took us a beat to staff up fully. We found a lot of great people initially, and then it took us a little bit of time to get to where we are now. But I'm really excited with the team now. Oh, that's great. And so along those lines, what were some of the biggest learning curves after winning? Because like you're saying, people will tell you how to campaign, but no one tells you how to do the office after the fact. Yeah. Okay. Well, what was something that I didn't really... um, I don't, you know, there's so many things that I feel like I could talk about. 
Is there an office dress code that you had to learn about? (laughs) Well, what was so interesting is that for the first few months, I didn't even come into City Hall. Everything was done remotely because I took office in the in the middle of the biggest surge. Right. Um, in that LA had faced during COVID. So it was incredibly challenging. People were so scared. Uh, we had people in our immediate, not my family, but people in our immediate circle who were sick with COVID. Wow. The children's school was closed. I have five-year-old twins. And so they were yeah. home. I mean, it was just a, you know, it was just a crazy time to be taking office. So I would say that one of the things that was most interesting about those first few weeks mm-hmm. was not just that we were navigating being new to the the city and being new to city hall, but also that we were navigating an environment that was completely new for everybody. Mm. Like how do you do constituent services when you are, when it's really not safe to go out and visit a constituent? Yeah. That's you know? wow. That's a lot of creative problem solving. Yeah, it is. And so we had to find solutions to that, which fit the time and fit the safety precautions of that moment. Mm-hmm. So one small thing that we did, which seems really minor, but actually met a lot of people's needs effectively was to do like digital coffees or digital office hours with our field team. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that then, you know, then people can log in, they can meet them, they can talk to them about problems, even if they're not able to come out to their home and, 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 you know, meet them face to face. Now we're doing all of that stuff, obviously, but in the beginning we had to do some really, you know, creative thinking about these things. Yeah. Um, You also mentioned your twins. How are they taking mom's win? Because they are one adorable and two truly the stars of your Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are very, they're now getting to an age where they understand more about how the world works. Mm-hmm. And what's really funny is we went to a, a party a few weeks ago or a couple of weeks ago, and it was at someone else's house and they walked into the backyard and there was a lot of people there. And then they turned to me and they asked me, when are you going to speak? <laughs> And I was like, so I just to let you know, not every party is one where Amma has to go out and make a speech. <laughs> yeah, it's a learning curve for them too. Yeah, exactly. But so for me, it was interesting. That comment was so interesting because I was like, okay, this is weird that they think that their mom is always the center of attention. It's it's a strange thing. Yeah. But it's also cool for my daughter to think that that's just what women do. That's just what people do when they grow up is that your mom gets out there and everyone listens to her. And you know, that's very cool. Yeah. It makes me proud. Makes me proud that that's what she grows up seeing. Yeah. And then that's, yeah. So embedded as a a normal, a normal thing, Uh, which yeah, when you think about it, you're like, it's kind of wild that that has to be like normalized, but it's incredibly sweet that she gets to grow up seeing that as something just so natural. Um, I'm also curious because just outside of politics, the idea of having twins, what was that like? Because oh. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that there's either like two kinds of reactions when you hear that you are pregnant with twins that you're like, great, we get two done for the price of one. But then at the same time, there's two of them. <laughs> yeah. So when my when we learned that I was having twins, I was at the doctor's office and we had done, you know, we had to do all these different tests and wait for a long time to see the doctor. And so by the time we were talking to the doctor, my husband had to go feed the meter. Uh-huh. <laughs> he was out of the room. And so she is like doing her exam and she's, you know, you know, looking at the um the ultrasound and like, you know, she's examining it and she goes, Oh. Oh, 
<laughs> which I don't know is a noise you necessarily want your doctor to make when you're getting that kind of exam. Yeah. And so she just looks at me and she goes, I have a surprise for you. You are you're caring too. And then I said, what, what are you sure? Check again, check again. <laughs> and so she, no, I'm sure of it. Here's one. Here's the other. She showed me, we listened to their, both of their heartbeats. And then I just started crying Aww. and I was like, oh my God, my life as I know it is totally over. <laughs> This was really beautiful. And now it's a bit much. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But they are total sweethearts. And it's uh it's great to see that, especially when you're giving sincere campaign messages on your Instagram, having them at the forefront just looking at their own faces in the camera is just such a delight to see. It definitely makes uh, boring messages more interesting. There you go. Um, okay, we're gonna take a quick break. When we get back, I have a bunch more questions for you. So we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Hi, friends. Grace Helbig here from the podcast Not Too Deep, which you are currently listening to, hosted by me, Grace Helbig. Just wanted to say a couple of things. One, thank you so much for listening. And two, if you are enjoying yourself to such a degree that you'd love to leave us a um, review on the Apple Store, that would be so appreciated because again you are very appreciated for giving us your time your ears your attention whatever it may be uh and that was my couple of things now back to me me okay we're back now okay one thing i want to ask what are some things that you always have in your bag oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) um if anything Three or four notebooks, all in various stages of use. Okay, okay. Um, crushed up granola bars. Perfect. I have, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I'm very good at maintaining a veneer of being very orderly. And then I open up my bag and it's just... And it's the truth. It's the truth about who you are. <laughs> the truth looks out at me and it's very, very disorderly. Well, in terms of that, too, I've been really interested in like your thoughts on um, social media, because in politics, it feels like it's been very interesting to watch this kind of growth of people like AOC using platforms to talk to the younger generation on the medium that they're used to communicating on and also just allowing um you know, your constituents to really get to know you in ways that I don't think people previously were able to get to know, like uh, people in politics. How has that been for you? So I think it's been a different experience for me actually being in office and relating to social media. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I can talk about that in a moment. But during the campaign, the thing that was really exciting about social media was I think a lot of politicians right now are faced with a real conundrum, which is traditional news sources are shrinking in their influence Mm -hmm. and in their reach. Right. So, you know, who the L.A. Times endorses for races matters less and less every year because of, you know, people are just reading the paper less. Yeah. Which is sad. And then the number of news sources that are covering local politics in Los Angeles has decreased a lot over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And I got almost no coverage in traditional news media at all. Mm. Yeah. Because incumbents are re- very rarely 
um, defeated because I was a newcomer to politics because I didn't have the right political consultants or the right PR people. I just never got much coverage at all in the traditional news media. And so I had to make my own news. Yeah. And so for me, social media was an incredible tool to be able to communicate directly to people and to talk about exactly what I was saying before, which is why should you care about this seat? Why mm -hmm. should you care about? I know there's a whole national election going on that you care so deeply about, but I also want you to care about this seat. And I feel like social media really helped us do that super effectively and to give people a sense during the pandemic when I couldn't go door to door of who's this person? Who's this woman? You know, yeah. what is she about? What is she like? And to be able to have that direct connection with residents, which was really exciting. And we didn't just use social media. We also use videos that we put out there. We produced them. They were, we put a lot of time and effort into them, but they were widely viewed, you know, and mm -hmm. they, they have more views than most of the videos that I've seen coming out of a lot of other candidates or a lot of other uh, people who are in political office. The challenge now being in office to use social media, I think has been a little bit more hard for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, because I think people want to get in touch with you through social media. People mm -hmm. criticize you through social media. Um, oh, yeah. People love to tell you everything that's wrong with you via social media. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's been a little bit more challenging to find my voice in this new role. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been getting better at it, but it's definitely a process. It took me a while to find my voice as a candidate too. Yeah. And I think now I'm, I'm, I'm looking to find my voice in this new role as a, a powerful person in the city who has to take responsibility for things that are going wrong. You know, I yeah. can't just be critical. I have to be part of the solution. So what does that look like in my social media feed? Sometimes I know, but sometimes I don't. Yeah, because there's no blueprint for any of it. There's no rule book for any of it. And I do appreciate, you know, your transparency on social media, on Twitter, when you're talking about things behind the scenes that, you know, you, people might only get headlines for and you're able to give more context to things and really be very authentically open to everyone, um, which I'm sure is difficult because the more transparent you are, the more people want to know every single piece of every single everything that's going on. Right. Yeah. And I think for me, when you're, when you're, when you don't have power, mm -hmm. you can be critical of those in power, or you can be critical of city departments. Mm -hmm. and, and now I have to work with those departments to get results. Yeah. Right. Because it's not, I don't just have a legislative position. It's also an executive position. Mm. And so I have to really work with people to make sure we're cleaning the streets, that we're helping people into housing who are experiencing homelessness, that we are really solving problems in the district. And that requires partnership. Yeah. And I can't afford to alienate partners, Yeah, you know, who I need in order to be able to move the district along to a better place. I mean, I want to serve the district effectively. Yeah. And so how does that reflect in my social media feed? I think it's reflected, you know, I think it's... Yeah. But it's harder. It's definitely a harder place to, to be in. It's a work in progress, I'm sure, especially when you can't burn someone on Twitter and then go into a meeting with them face to face and try to work on something together. Exactly. <laughs> and you and you wouldn't want to because you'd want to encourage right. them to be better. Right. And you'd want yeah. to encourage them to be partnered with you and you'd want to encourage them to trust you as well. Yeah. And and I think that just becomes, you know, when you yeah, when you have a, a big city that you're working with, it just becomes a little bit more challenging. And it's a really different role from like 
you know, you mentioned AOC earlier. Yeah. You know, it's just a different role. It's a different kind of role. And the the role you play with your constituents in terms of direct service provision is really different too. Hmm. I mean, like I said, it sounds like an easy breezy job that just on a regular basis does itself without you being truly involved. (laughs) Um, okay, to to shift into a slightly, you know, more lighthearted territory, I would like to ask you the two questions I ask every single guest that is on the podcast with me. Um, the first is who, alive or dead, would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're getting very political here. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's okay. These are the campaign issues that I run on uh, during this podcast. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. You're working with the county and city and you're doing great stuff. Now, who would you like to throw some cold pasta at? Um, And just so you know, this can also be seen as like a celebratory thing. It doesn't have to be a negative. It's truly up to your intention. Um, oh, that's, that's an interesting angle. Mm-hmm. I do want to throw cold spaghetti at, um, Maya Wiley and Catherine Garcia. Okay. Who, uh, who were second and third in line to be the New York city mayor. Okay. Um, and, and I would like to, and I would like to do it as an act of celebration. Okay. To say, <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, to say, wow, I can't believe that um, we still don't have a female mayor for New York, but mm-hmm. also like they, they, they busted their butts and they got really far and, you know, yeah. I think they both ran stupendous campaigns. So, and perhaps in the future, a video of you throwing this spaghetti at them might get more voters out at the polls on their that's, behalf. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Now the other question I ask every single guest and part of my crudeness um, is to tell us your worst pants shitting story or like a bathroom emergency, but hear me out. You can only use three words or three small phrases to describe the situation. Uh, this can also pertain to your twins, too, if that it rings a bell. But I'll give you mine, for example. Mine is college jogging front lawn. <laughs> I said, these are the real issues that we're getting into. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> Thank you for being such a good sport. <laughs> um... Okay. Um, yeah, the most recent experience with this particular issue <laughs> does have to deal with my twins. Okay. So, okay. So you could you said I can use words or phrases, right? Yes. Um, twins, first visit to India, street <gasps> food. <laughs> okay. Oh, no follow-up questions. <laughs> Let everyone connect their own dots. Um, Okay, now we have a a section going back to a little bit more serious conversation um, called Deep and Hot, where I uh, ask you a deep question um, and then ask you for a hot take on something. Um, So your deep question uh, is, why do you think it's so easy for people to be bystanders to another person's pain, i.e. the homelessness situation? Uh, to me, the biggest reason why people 
or don't get involved? Yeah. The biggest reason why people don't get involved is because they don't know what to do Mm. because they feel really overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And I think we have an opportunity in Los Angeles to give people pathways to intervening in homelessness that are positive, productive, and compassionate. Mm-hmm. And if we fail to give them those options, then they will either do nothing or they'll intervene in ways that can be really harmful for, for all of us, um, but particularly for people experiencing homelessness. So I, I really think it's on us, and I say the collective us, yeah, um, to think about that and to make sure that those pathways for positive, productive, compassionate action, that people know what those are and, and that they're able to take advantage of them. And so on top of that, what would you say is an easy um, piece of advice for people that are looking to help, but like you said, just don't even know the first way to do it? So I would say two things to anyone who's looking to get involved on homelessness. Mm -hmm. One, if you have the capacity to do direct volunteering, find an organization in your neighborhood that's helping people in your own neighborhood who are experiencing homelessness and go out once a month, once a week, however much you can do it and, and be part and just, just volunteer, talk to someone experiencing homelessness, get to know them and get to understand from, from them directly, you know, what brought them to the streets and what are the barriers they're facing as they try to make their way out of it. Mm. You know, that, that I think is something that anyone can do. And if, if, you know, if, if you're able, if you're old enough and if you have, you know, um, the other thing that I would do is that in, in every name. So in Los Angeles, there is widespread agreement that we need more affordable housing, that we need more housing for people experiencing homelessness, that we need more resources for those experiencing homelessness. And everyone on a widespread level says, yes, yes, yes. And we see that in votes. We see that in elections. We see that when we vote for taxing ourselves to fund those services. But when it comes time to put those in your own neighborhood, people say no. Mm. And, And not enough people say yes. Mm. And so if you can't volunteer or in addition to your volunteering, the thing I say to everybody is if you want to help the situation, become part of the community that says yes. Mm. If you know that there's a building that's planned for your neighborhood and there's opposition to it, go out there and say, I want this. Mm. If you know that there's a service center being planned for your neighborhood, a drop-in center, a shelter, and that there's opposition, go out and say, I want it. And don't just go out by yourself get 10 of your neighbors to go out there and say, we want this. Mm, That's, I mean, incredibly helpful. It seems like it, you know, should be common sense, but it really, I think, isn't for a lot of people that it seems like too overwhelming of a world to to get into. But really, there are just some easy steps like you just listed. Take notes, everybody. Uh, Okay, now we'd ask for your hot take. So the question for you to give us a hot take on, it can be short, it can be long, is a hot take on politics as portrayed in scripted television. In your experience now in politics versus what you may have seen on TV, and I know your husband is also a creative involved in entertainment, what is your hot take on politics as personified on television? Um, I wish it were as... Uh, you know, I've watched House of Cards. Yeah. I've watched uh, The West Wing. And I wish politics were as, I don't know how to put this. Um, <laughs> dramatic. <kind of laughs> dramatic and like <laughs> kind of oh, m- m- <laughs> like 
that there was really a puppeteer who was like organizing everything and had a plan for yeah. evil, you know, like, but that's not really how it is. Um, well, that's good to just, know. Yeah. <laughs> mostly just a lot of people. It's a lot of chaos. It's a lot of people like, you know, yeah. not really talking to each other or missed connections and, mm. Um, and it's all a lot more like Veep and a lot less like House of Cards. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. But... Uh, yeah, this is seem very reassuring, <laughs> I guess. Veep, but less funny. Great. Um, okay, we're going to take one last break. When we get back, uh, we have a couple questions that have been submitted by listeners and viewers that uh, maybe you and I can offer some advice on. So we'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Okay, let's answer to the best of our ability. And as always, this is not professional advice. Take all of it with a grain of salt. Um, But I feel like you might have some experience or insight that could uh, provide some help. So this is a question in relation to career. Uh, This listener says, I graduated from college in May. I'm starting grad school at Georgia Tech in August. All of my friends from college have jobs in our field, and I'm feeling like I'm behind because I haven't gotten there yet. Any Any advice on feeling like you're behind when your career should be in your early 20s or advice on being behind your friends in life in general? Um, I would say that I felt this a lot when I was in my 20s, a lot. I went to, you know, into Harvard undergrad. Not surprisingly, there were a lot of people there who were really clear about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to get there and the steps they needed to take. And I frankly didn't. Um, and I felt really behind and I, I would just say to anyone who is feeling behind, um, you, the people you think you're behind are probably feeling behind too. True. Very true. And also a, um, you also, I think are a testament that you never know where your life's going to take you. And so you might be feeling behind on something that you think you should be doing when really in front of you is something you didn't realize could be happening for you. Yeah, exactly. And if I had done exactly what my colleagues, what my classmates had done in in college and I was wishing I got, you know, those paths or those opportunities, I wouldn't be where I am today. I wouldn't have been able to meet the people I did when I was working in India. Hmm. I wouldn't have been able to meet the people I did when I came to Los Angeles, like this. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How was the Harvard undergrad experience, by the way? Sounds again, easy breezy. <laughs> it, I mean, it was a long time ago for me now. So it's, uh, it's receding into distant memory. <laughs> but the feeling of being behind, I remember. <laughs> totally. Sure. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's one last question for you. Uh, again, in relation to school, someone is wondering, just wondering how you made it through college while still having a good time or if college really does just suck. I have friends, though, struggle to balance maintaining my high grades with my social life. Any tips on how to have better time management? I'm pre-med, so I just don't know if I should give up on any sort of social life now since it will likely get harder. Oh, gosh. I mean, look, I'm in awe of this writer. Yeah. Uh, 
being pre-med is so hard. So I would just say, be easy on yourself. You know, like, I think that's a big part of just of, of having a good time. Your social life is what you make of it. If your downtime is just you sitting in your room and chilling, then so be it. Totally. I'm um, very introverted. And this last year has really kind of solidified for me that uh, so much of my enjoyment is sitting at home watching television. And but I do get uh, caught sometimes in like the comparison thoughts of seeing other people kind of live this, you know, extraordinary life and feeling like, why isn't mine as interesting or exciting as theirs is? And then I have to realize that, like, I don't really want to be doing that (laughs) if I really question myself on it. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Sometimes I feel like as hard as this last year was some of those, you know, some, it's not even the pressures, but like, I didn't have to think about planning a trip. Yeah. No, I didn't have to think about. And, um, it was fine. <laughs> well, I have a question. How do you, and maybe you don't have this time currently, Uh, Because you seem very busy. How do you relax? Like, what's a date night for you look like? What's like a relaxing night situation? Um, the 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 most relaxing times that I've had over the past few months since I started this job have actually been weekends when I have a day fully off, no events, Mm -hmm. and my whole family, like my husband and my kids, are we all go biking somewhere. So they're just learning how to bike. Um, (gasps) Twins are learning how to bike. uh, You know, pedal bikes. Yeah. And so we'll go to a a place where it's safe for them, um, where there's no traffic, and we'll just like bike around with them, and that in the beautiful California sunshine. Oh, that sounds very sweet. Yes. That's like, I can't, it's like the time when I've had the most bliss over the past few months for sure. I'm sure. Um, Well, Nithya, we've gotten to the end of the podcast. I can't thank you enough for making time to talk to us. But before you go, we like to give all of our guests a um, a, a fun, uh, personalized fortune or horoscope, rather, from us to you. Um, we couldn't figure out what your zodiac sign was. So Melissa has put it in the chat for you if you'd like to read it out loud. As Aquarius moves into Saturn in the retrograde of Mercury behind a new moon of Jupiter, The stars can't thank you enough for all of the hard work you're doing, though we will still be manifesting some cute furniture for your city hall office. (laughs) Yeah, we've seen the photo on Instagram. Uh, We heard that you did get some new furniture, though. I do. I have rugs. I have furniture. (laughs) I have some art, but I need more. So please keep manifesting. We will keep manifesting. Now, where can people find you online and everything that you're doing if they don't already know? You can find me in two places. My personal account is still the same. It's at Nithya for the city on Instagram and at Nithya V Raman on Twitter. And my city hall account or the district account is city for Los Angeles on both places. Awesome. Thank you again so much. This was so lovely. Thank you, Grace. This was really a pleasure. And I hope that I get to come back sometime. Yeah, of course. Uh, And guys, go check out everything that she is doing. And also, if you have any interest in getting involved and you feel overwhelmed by it, just take some of her advice and just start asking and just start volunteering and get yourselves out there. Uh, Thank you for listening and watching. We'll see you next time on Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too deep. Too deep. Too deep. deep. Not too deep. deep. With Grace Helbig.
Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated, producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry, and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. <laughs>